Hi, I'm James Vincent, host of Leaders in Innovation, a most innovative companies podcast from Fast Company. I'm a founding partner at Founder, where we help give voice to vision for founders. We've had the privilege to work with some of the biggest founders of our time, from Steve at Apple, Brian at Airbnb, Evan at Snap, Jason at Discord, and many, many more. We're back for a new season, and this year we speak to leaders in innovation. In an era where things are changing so quickly, it demands a new playbook for innovation. From emerging technologies like biotech to completely new categories like AI, innovating simply at the product level is not enough. To get to true impact, scale, and mass adoption now requires innovation across multiple levels. You have to design around systemic issues such as supply chain, go-to-market, new types of partnership and new ways of working, as well as technology and product experience innovation. Whilst we're going to be talking about AI and new foods and biotech, we're really going to be compiling a new innovators playbook with lessons you can apply no matter the size of your company or the job title you hold. As you're getting used to on this podcast, we're dealing with some of the major existential threats faced in the world today. There are two of them that push themselves to the top, one being AI, the implication on humanity, and the other being climate change. And I think the questions are very similar in both, which is, what are we doing about it? Can we begin to make the changes that are necessary to have a better human future? When we dig into climate, one of the biggest issues is carbon and the emissions of carbon, particularly by companies. I actually thought it was great to see roughly a month ago, Apple saying that they were taking seriously their carbon emissions. Where Apple starts, everybody follows, $3 trillion company, got a very, very difficult supply chain, but said, I'm going to try to get moving to fix it. So if they can do it, maybe everyone else can begin to do that too. Because in general, it seems companies aren't taking account of their carbon, and they're kicking the can down the road. Today, I'm talking with Rachel from Sweep, who is ensuring that companies really get engaged in controlling their carbon. So great to see you, Rachel. How are you? Uh, fine. Thank you very much for having me, James. Hello from France and Europe. Yes. Well, I, and I'm going to get into that because I think there's a lot we can learn from the perspective of Europe and regulation. But before we get into that, let's start with the basics. Let's talk about Sweep. How do you help a company that says, I think our carbon emissions aren't what they should be? What do you do to get them to start doing something? At WIP, we are um, helping uh, companies to streamline carbon and ESG data management in one single platform. Carbon, it's a data problem and a network problem. And technology is definitely at the core, connecting dots for companies to understand their carbon, to make sure that they are in control of their carbon at a granular level so that they can really understand it precisely. I really believe in uh, in companies, in businesses, because for me, they are at the art of uh, helping solve the climate crisis. It's all about making sure they are using the right tools to better understand this world, the how they are tracking their progress to meet new expectations and uh, new challenges. I'm assuming tracking carbon is one thing, but actually getting on with doing it is another. So can you just explain some of the challenges of tracking carbon? Yeah, tracking carbon, it's, uh, you know, 
at the core of your action, you need to prove your progress. It's absolutely complicated. It's all about transforming your business activity data into carbon, how you can uh, go beyond your information systems, how you are sharing responsibilities with your suppliers, okay, and how do you account as a company for uh, that part of their uh, carbon emission. So it's really, really, really key to show your progress to the world, to your customers, to your employees, to the regulator. As a citizen, as a company, you need to show your progresses. And uh, this is where I am uh, waking up every morning to help you, <laughs> to help companies to do so, mask that complexity. It's a data project. It's uh, lots of uh, data, technical analytics, uh, you know, visualizations to understand what's happening. You know, at the end of the day, it's uh, business intelligence meeting uh, carbon and uh, NESG uh, data. You were talking about Apple just before, and uh, it's not just about claiming, you know, that their products are um, carbon neutral, you know, because everything is emitting um, carbon emissions. But as long as they are able to show progress, it's already a lot. Okay. From grand statements to real action, right? From theory to practice, just getting started seems to be the point here. And so when you get into a conversation with a company, how do you get them to begin to be on track? Tell us about that conversation. It's about empowering the company to connect all the different data points. And what companies have hard time to uh, understand is that is, but what is carbon exactly? How can I assess that? Actually, you have everything you need to assess your carbon footprint precisely and to track your progress and to start, just start. Then you have to apply an equation, okay, to transform that data point into carbon. And this is where, you know, uh, SWIP, for example, is providing that equation. I'm not saying that it's easy, but there is already everything a company needs to start and to just put their journey on a reduction trajectory. So... Come on, start. <laughs> uh, you just need to apply your approach to the existing data sets and you'll start understanding the trajectory that you need to go on, where the emissions are, where they are, those kinds of things. The same way they've done uh, with the financial data. Huh? It's exactly the same. I'm going to assume that in a very near future, it's one of the things that companies have to report. Everyone needs to have a relationship with nature. Every company has a responsibility. Every annual report, every quarterly update to say, and here's how we're doing on tracking our carbon. And if you don't do that, you are over time perceived to not be a responsible, sustainable, relevant company. We did some work together a couple of years ago. You really engaged with this idea of a forever company, yeah. which is a company that is built to be here. Tell me about that idea and how that's helping companies get an idea of why they should begin to put their carbon on track. We have no choice today as a company. We must consider nature. Nature is an asset class in the modern business world, okay? We are all seeing that something is going very, very wrong. I mean, the source of France, that's okay, but today it's 30 degrees here, you know, and we are mid-October, so there is really something that is going wrong. We know that businesses have an impact on climate, okay, but that climate has an impact on businesses. Understand about nature and how it is affecting your business and how your business is affecting nature. It's at the core of the differentiators the, of, a, of a modern business. It's a competitive advantage to understand all this because there is the regulatory threat, 
there is the reputational threat. It's like 15 years ago during the digital transition when companies were, okay, no, we, we have time, you know what, we will do that internally. And it's the same, you know, 15 years later, I'm seeing the same pattern, you know, 15 years later, when it comes to the transition to the, that low carbon economy, I can see businesses as well telling me, oh, we have, we have time and this regulation coming, not really sure. And, uh, but you know what? It's more than penalties. You know, it's, uh, it will impact your top line, your revenue, because your customers won't want to contract uh, with a supplier that is uh, not clean when it comes to ESG data. It's a top line uh, problem on a very short term. And of course, you know, the seeing that the financial world is going strong, you know, on the, on how you have to assess nature, biodiversity, carbon, you know, as an impact on your business. And the fact that you are able to access money on a much more easier basis uh, because of your ESG core. When you are talking to your uh, board members that uh, you have hard time to get access to uh, cheap cash because you are not ESG carbon compliant, it's a very, very short term threat, actually. If you want to be a forever company, if you want to be resilient, you have to start now. So it's actually an existential threat to companies if they don't get on board now. And it takes a little while to work that way. You start tracking it, you start monitoring it, you start tuning it, you start really making reductions over a period of time. It doesn't happen in a year. So five years from now, when you look back and you say, well, some companies are just starting now, that means they're five years behind. So in order to be on track, you got to start now because five years from now, you'll look like you were the sloppy one. I love your comparison. You didn't adopt digital because you thought that uh, the analog world will be fine. Yeah, and it costs you today, you know, to reorganize your company, to be sure that you are transitioning and understanding that you need a technology strategy within your climate strategy, etc. But it will cost you a fortune tomorrow if you are late because you will have to organize this in an even shorter amount of time. And you know what it is in a company when you have to transform your company at the speed of light. Oh my God, you know, it's costing you a fortune. You can die of it. In general, we recognize that the EU is a more progressive, you know, with regard to setting climate targets. I know that the Biden administration has begun to try to do that. There are clearly some challenges. Just as a point of fact, I was uh, in London with a friend of mine that's working with H&M and trying to figure out their innovation. And obviously, fashion is one of the biggest culprits, right? The feeling was that actually the regulation that's coming from the EU was already pressuring the supply chain. And that H&M was talking to Bangladesh and they were being told they have to retool the factories. They have to put in new generators. They have to use the wastewater differently. Different production methodologies to lower the carbon emissions and begin that process now. And by the time the EU regulation comes into play a few years from now, they want to be able to still sell their T-shirts in Europe. Talk to me about how regulation can help in that conversation. I really see um, regulation as, a, as an opportunity actually, to force action, to force data under the spotlight. We are asking uh, European companies to organize their extra-financial world the same way they have organized their financial world. It is um, creating a new governance when it comes to that transition. When you want to report and be uh, aligned with what the new regulated framework is asking you, you have to have discussions with the CEO, with the chief procurement officer because of the scope three and supply chain. You need to have conversation with the chief data officer. You need to have conversation with the chief financial officer 
you need to have the CTO because it's impacting all your information systems. And this is when it's becoming virtuous. So I love regulation, not just because I'm a European, and <laughs> but regulation is a force today. At least it's forcing all those discussions at the same time. And yes, it can be seen as something painful, but this is where technology is helping companies to mask that complexity. What I'm hearing is it's a forcing function to develop strategies and ways of working with big companies to prove that they're more compliant. The pressure is growing on companies. Don't say sustainability in the window without actually having in your report what you're doing about it. I feel like that pressure is going to come to the US too. Yes, and and as a company, whether you are in a, whether you are European or American, you want to lead the change. I have seen many companies, gems, who are really benevolent, willing to take actions. And the problem is that it's also a matter of communication. So they have to also educate their comms, their PR about uh, being uh, precise. All those companies who are taking actions, and uh, this is great, but they. It's their responsibility to communicate well. Interesting you mentioned that because in a associated but very important connective field, the whole world of carbon offsetting has gone through a sort of rather disastrous few months. How do you come back at people when they say, well, this whole field of carbon counting and carbon emissions and carbon offsetting is somewhat spurious? What's your answer to that question? My answer to that, to that question is that I understand the concerns, you know, about, okay, what is qualitative, what is not, what is true, what is not, etc. Technology is helping also more and more to grab as much data as possible to make sure that um, it's showing the truth as well. And this is great. But my answer to those companies is uh, we have no choice than funding, investing, directing funds to those projects as well. Everything at the same time. At the same time, you are mitigating, you are reducing your carbon emissions. At the same time, you also need to contribute to projects which are good for the climate. You cannot wait to decrease and then offset. We are lacking of time. At the moment, there is this urgency and it's really about doing everything. And if you are not putting a, a real budget, or if you are not giving the, the right price to the tons of CO2 you have to offset, Put it simply, company produces carbon, no matter what they do. And so job one is, let's reduce as much carbon as we're admitting as possible. But in addition, let's recognize what that number is and try to offset some of it. But let's really be intentional about, as you're saying, don't go for the cheap one that covers everything and says, we're now net neutral because we went for the cheapest version. Let's go for the one that's really substantive. There's a rush to simplicity to try to, oh, we're neutral, we, we're offset, we're fine, we can sleep at, at night. Let's deal with the emissions that we're making and put them on track, become a forever company. It will never be zero. But let's then talk about how do we offset? And when we do, let's do that also just as responsibly and data-based and make sure that it's substantive and material and not just a PR stunt that says we're now net neutral. Yeah, it's all about humility, recognizing that uh, we have to start. And even if you are a big company, you can start small and that's fine. Just start. <laughs> I've said that a few times. Sometimes innovation is just getting started. Yeah, companies have a, have a, they have a huge opportunity to lead the change just by, just by starting and opening the books. This is the next step of uh, leading the change. 
opening the books. And, uh, and that's okay to make mistakes. That's absolutely fine to make mistakes. But as long as you are um, auditable, as long as you are showing that you are tracking your progress, you prefer a company with uh, opening the books and showing that, okay, they made mistakes, but they are correcting it, uh, instead of uh, some black box uh, where everything is supposed to be super great. <laughs> if you could get every company to change, what's the percentage of carbon emissions coming from companies that you're tackling? At the moment, we are covering hundreds of millions of tons of CO2 under management within SWEEP. This is massive. It's because among our customers, we have a very important industries, manufacturers. This is uh, and at, at scale, you know, international global companies. For any companies, what they have to understand is that they're the infamous scope three is the one that is representing more than, uh, sometimes it even represents more than 90 95, so 95, 90% of a company emissions, okay? So scope three is uh, all the interactions that indirect emissions that you have, all the interactions that you have as a business with uh, other businesses or with your customers that are indirectly produced because of your successful business, for example. So think about L'Oréal, for example, what's representing the biggest part of their scope three is actually the rinsability of their shampoo. And the, the, the more their shampoo are rinsable, the less hot shower you are using as a consumer because it's a go faster to rinse your hair. It means less uh, energy used during your shower. So you need to connect the dots and to have that collective climate action. Again, you come back to the, how did you open the books? with your supply chain? How are you leading the change by showing your powerful and extended uh, action at scale? This is massive. This is why you need uh, an horizontal governance. This is why you need to have that uh, that conversation uh, at the scale of your board members, at the scale of your C staff. It cannot just lie in the chief sustainability uh, department. I've been throwing around this idea that nature needs a board seat on every company. There should be a section of every annual report. Okay, now nature, here's where we're at. One of the themes of this Leaders in Innovation podcast is about building a new playbook for innovators. Now, here you are talking to L'Oreal. You're talking to these massive companies. How do you talk about yourselves as a collaborator, as a partner? How do you instigate those conversations with big old boardrooms, with people that are set in their ways for decades. What do you, Rachel, as the CEO of the company, have to do to make sure your innovation works, to change the category? I think that what is helping me a lot is uh, coming from that world of uh, business intelligence with my first company. And when you show that carbon is a, a data and a network problem, and that as a new player, you have a proposal for connecting the dots uh, using cloud technologies for that network effect, that distributed uh, carbon effect, that you have this analytics understanding that you are coming with a whole team that, uh, you know, from a first company acquired by Zendesk, who is able to understand that, okay, let's bring business intelligence to the next level to execute that within companies. When you are opening their eyes, this way, when you are showing them that uh, because of data, they will be able to be auditable and that you are giving them the keys already to uh, uh, implement that. I think this is fostering 
their interest. We are only a three years old company, but the fact that the, the whole team has been working together for 15 years, we are bringing that credibility. The choices that we've made to come with a, a mix of um, data engineers, BI engineers, and uh, carbon experts, knowing that we need to productize their <laughs> brains. It's all about productizing the climate journey for companies to be in full ownership of their monitoring and action plans. This is helping them to start faster. It's a SaaS, so they are much more accustomed also to, uh, to use uh, SaaS now to transform their uh, IT systems, data projects. And I think we are pretty passionate about what we are doing. So <laughs> I'm regularly invited in uh, during board meetings or else of large companies. And uh, I love that. I enjoy that, you know. I enjoy that. Uh, it's our role as well as uh, when you are pioneering in uh, technology, it's your role to evangelize as well and to... Come on, James, I should take the opportunity of uh, this podcast to, to mention sweep, 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 sweep everywhere. It's time for coalition as well, not just time for sweep only. At the end, we all need to evangelize and please, it has to be science-based. Voilà, monsieur. Fantastic. I love that. Oddly enough, I began by saying there's two existential threats, big data and AI and climate. And actually, it turns out that the solution to climate is to use big data and AI. And that's the tool. Exactly. That notion that when you introduce something really, really new to people, you should do it through the lens of the familiar. And my sense is that what you're bringing is this level of business intelligence that people can understand in big companies. Let me show you in your language what's being emitted, and then let's figure out what our plan is. They're not going to stop, but how do you carry on increasingly being thoughtful about the emissions that, and, and monitoring them and knowing quantitatively, substantively, materially through technology, you're going to know what your emissions are, and then it's up to you to take care of it. This has been a fantastic conversation, Rachel. I'm so pleased that you had the time to share with us. Give us that perspective. I feel like you're a few years ahead of what's going on here in the US. So I think it's a good indicator for innovators everywhere to say, let's get ahead. Let's talk to people like Rachel at Sweep or, or other companies. As you said, it's a myriad of solutions. I'm going to give you one last Chance, what would you say to the CEO of a very large company who say, ah, I know it's building and everything, but I can do this a couple of years from now. What would you say to them to say, just get started right now? When it comes to European regulation, it means that all the headquarters of US companies, which are in Europe, will have to cope with the same regulation, okay, with the same rules. So can an international company can afford to miss that first market, first commercial market in the world, that is Europe, I'm not sure that uh, it can be uh, out of your scope when you are developing, uh, when you have international ambitions. It's all about understanding what's behind uh, that forever company, making sure companies understand that they have to build today resilience to the future challenges ahead. And future challenges ahead, when it comes to commercial uh, development, it's really about uh, extra financial data today. Top line, access to cash, access to markets in the world. So it's your mandate as a CEO, it's your mandate to put your company on track to be a forever company. You are paid for that. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was really fun, very interesting and super compelling. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you, James. Merci beaucoup. We introduced the episode today by saying that these two existential threats for humanity, artificial intelligence and climate change. 
seemingly totally disconnected challenges to the world, to humanity. And yet after talking with Rachel, it turns out that one might actually be the key to solving the other. It's kind of a paradox. So how might artificial intelligence help us solve climate change? What if nature had a board seat? What if you thought about it as if it was in the annual report, just as importantly as any other asset of a business? And that in doing so, you then have the opportunity to go on and become what Rachel described as a forever company. And a forever company is sustainable. Sustainable not just from a revenue point of view, but also culturally. Because looking back five years from now, you look back at the companies that didn't wait to take nature seriously. You look at the companies that said, no, we got in there and we tackled it. So how, just how do you go about doing that? The second takeaway is really about getting carbon on track and just getting started. One calculation might be, well, that's gonna be expensive for me to begin now. I think the equation here is that it will be even more expensive if you start tomorrow. And that actually just beginning to monitor your missions begins the process of awareness that allows you to start to tackle this, because this is not gonna happen overnight. You need the time to figure out how to work through the supply chain, work through your total emissions as a company. And the earlier you start, the more time you have. And if you wait, you're probably gonna hit up against a need to do it faster and less efficiently. So whatever cost applies today is probably more expensive if you do it tomorrow. A third takeaway, Sweep is a European company based in London and Paris. And the European market is by the EU more regulated in terms of some of the carbon emission targets that are being set for companies there. And one of our points was that constraints breed creativity. And those constraints begin the process earlier. And that really, if you think about it, Europe is perhaps the canary in the coal mine for where we're going. That large international companies with large European presences are gonna have to tackle this anyway. And that wherever that looks like the future for all of us. And if you get out ahead of it, it actually provides an opportunity. And so whatever is happening maybe out there in Europe is gonna happen here. And international companies that are based in both places are having to face this anyway. Supply chains will have to start responding to the fact that the EU is creating these constraints. It creates an opportunity to say, I can build a more sustainable business that will create a forever company that will be more successful for longer. That's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to Leaders in Innovation wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you like this episode, give it a rating. Five star would be awesome. And review it on Apple Podcasts, if you would. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you want to hear more of. You can email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us, hashtag leaders in innovation. Leaders in Innovation is a production of Fast Company in partnership with founder FNDR, who couldn't afford the vowels. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen, produced and edited by Matt Toda, sound designed by Nicholas Torres. The writing is Matias Sanchez, also ably assisted by a merry band of Camilla, LJ, Hannah, Nikki, Naomi, Nick, this podcast is done in collaboration with my amazing partners at Founder, Stephen Butler, 
Rebecca Jeffries and Nick Barron. <laughs>